0: Kia ora and welcome to the Female Career Podcast. My name's Anna Johnston and I work as a leadership and career coach for women. I'm looking forward to sharing with you an inspiring collection of career stories of a diverse range of women of Aotearoa New Zealand. I hope that by listening to these stories, you'll feel inspired in your own career. If you do enjoy this story, please head along to our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we have lots more stories of wonderful Kiwi women and their careers. We'd also love you to subscribe to our podcast so that you have all the episodes at your fingertips, and please do tell your friends and family about it too. For now though, I hope you enjoy listening to this career story. I'm really looking forward to speaking today with Gina Della Barca and hearing more about her career. Gina was appointed Westpac New Zealand General Manager of Consumer, Banking and Wealth in early 2020 and is a member of Westpac's executive team. She's responsible for leading Westpac's consumer network together with the Private Wealth Management Division, Contact Centres and Operations. She spent the previous five years as General Manager of Human Resources and Corporate Affairs for Westpac. Since joining Westpac in 1998, Gina's held a number of senior leadership roles, She led both commercial and retail businesses across Westpac in both the North and South Island of New Zealand. She's also a Director of Westpac New Zealand's Staff Superannuation Scheme, a Director of Blake New Zealand Trust and Chair of the We Care Fund, He Ora Te Whakapiri, Strength and Unity. And I also know that Gina's a strong advocate for diversity and inclusion too. I'm really looking forward to hearing more about her career journey today. Kia ora Gina and thank you very much for joining me. Hi, thank you. Great. So the first question that I had for you is to think back to when you were maybe a child or a teenager, what were some of your early thoughts about what your career might hold?
1: I think I always wanted to be in in business in some uh, shape or fashion. And I don't think anything ever made me feel like I could um, not do that. I was through the 1980s, the campaign Girls Can Do Anything. And I think that's how my parents raised me, which was I did never stop to think I couldn't do anything and that my gender would hold me back. So I think I had that in my mind from the time I was a very young girl and I just think I gravitated towards um, numbers and to people and just wanting to really do things that I felt were brought me joy. And it's interesting as you said that kind of the
0: gravitating towards business and it's that that combination of numbers and people which absolutely is is often enough at the heart of business. Mm -hmm. So how did you then get into the
1: world of banking? Well, I didn't start in banking, actually. Yeah. After after high school, I left and went to uh, Polytechnic to do a business course. And I actually ended up working for Ulrich Aluminium and I became their uh, sort of first woman sales rep uh, in their company. And I was there for a couple of years uh, before got, heading off overseas for my um, OE And when I came back, uh, I fell into banking actually because I'd just got back and jobs were pretty easy to come by in those days. So I applied for a job at Westpac and actually started about a week later. And what were some of the highlights but also maybe
0: the challenges of some of those first years? Well, I think,
1: For me, I've started from the grassroots. So I started at 502 Branch in Wellington, which used to be the head office branch in banking in Westpac. And if I look back on that, those days, here we were with probably... 40 or 50 staff, of which most of the women were down on the ground floor in the teller and kind of customer inquiry sections, and all the men occupied the first floor, which was the management and credit part of the business. I was a bit upstairs, downstairs in those days, and I think one of my early challenges that I remember is that I went to the personnel manager and asked if I could cross-train on a number of different functions across the bank. To which he responded, um, oh no, absolutely not. You only do the part of the job that you're employed to do and that's how we run the bank. (laughs) So I was quite shocked by that, but clearly I persevered.
0: (laughs) Yes, I was going to say. And, you know, how in many ways... How rewarding it must be for you to see now, as you said, this is a kind of upstairs, downstairs piece and more gender segregation. Actually, now to see Westpac and to see actually that there's a much greater degree of gender balance
1: that's now in place. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's one of the highlights working for an organisation like Westpac that we have taken a, a really strong stance on gender and diversity and inclusion across multiple facets. And it's one of the things that we're probably most proud of, Or me having a past career in HR being able to really influence that and make sure that women are getting an an equal opportunity to to step up, particularly in some of those senior roles. And actually, it really reflects diversity of thought. You know, the fact that we do have a range of people um, across the business just makes such a difference to the way we think about problems, uh, problem solving and creating new ideas and that those things really make a difference to an organisation, I think, as a whole. Absolutely. And you knew right. that I like the way you put it. I mean, different ways of thinking about problems
0: that diversity brings. It definitely brings loads of things. But that's definitely one of them. And then, Gina, through your career, you obviously continued to progress. As you said, you didn't take no for an answer in terms of sticking to the one role. And you progressed increasingly into leadership positions. How did you find that journey in terms of developing as a leader? Well,
1: I think you always look back on your journey and think about all the things you've learnt and the experiences you've had. Probably one of my most challenging experiences as a leader was through the Canterbury earthquakes back in 2011. And it was just through that sort of adversity and uncertain times that you really get tested in terms of your leadership capability and leading others through those um, challenges. But I think that it really demonstrated to me just the perseverance and resilience and actually the kind of grounded way I had come through my career just put me in really good stead for those challenges. Mm. And I look back on that and think that actually helped shape and form the next steps of my journey and pushing ahead in a career and seizing opportunities that perhaps... In the past, if you were less confident, you might not have taken. I was grateful for those those challenges at that time. Mm. Probably, possibly didn't feel like it when it was in the midst of it. But I look back now and think, gosh, that helped really shape my leadership. I think most people at the time, those toughest
0: moments, they don't necessarily uh, enjoy them. But actually, <laughs> often they do almost catapult sometimes you forward in terms of the mm. learning that you can get from those tough moments.
1: What do you really love?
0: about your work?
1: Well this is interesting I don't because if you love what you do it just makes such a difference to how you approach the the mindset that you you know really come to work with and I love people I love dealing with problems and um, I love seeing results and so all of those things combined just really make kind of work a bit of a joy really and yes you have some bad times but when the bad times don't outweigh the good and you really think you're making a difference to an organisation and and to broadly society. I think that's just so rewarding that it doesn't really feel like work, to be honest. Mm, that's quite nice. It's, I think it's the ultimate. If you can have work that doesn't feel
0: too much like hard work, certainly that can be great. And what about banking? Because obviously, as you said, although you started didn't start in it, it's actually it's been the kind of the heart of your career for the last twenty
1: mm. plus years. What is it about banking that you really enjoy? Banking is—it's just um, such a key pillar to um, society and to helping people, particularly around their financial goals. But. I think in large organisations, it's just so much more than that. You know, it's the opportunity to influence society in different ways. And the HR role that um, I had, I was lucky enough to be involved with, you know, helping drive the living wage accreditation that we did. We were the first organisation to do a, a lot of work around domestic violence, free workplaces. So it's not just about the influence you have on the kind of remit of banking and financial services, but it's the much broader influence you can have, a, say, woman leader across multiple dimensions of society and I think that has just been at the heart of what really drives me is the higher purpose of how you can influence and positively influence across a community. Absolutely.
0: And as you say, particularly banking does touch pretty much almost all of us. But that broader reach then of actually what you can do in a large organisation that is part of the the fabric of of a community and how you can influence that. I like it. You mentioned just then, Gina, about being a woman leader. What challenges or obstacles have you maybe faced along the way as a woman in your career?
1: I think most women would say, and I'm included in this, is you have to build confidence over time. And sometimes when you're coming through your career, you're in a situation where you are the minority around the exec table and those sorts of things. So it's learning how to claim your space and seizing opportunities, but also being reflective on those things that might not be working as well as you'd like and then working out how you can do things differently. But actually what I've seen through my career is and it's a lock bag as I look back, as the ability to help other young women recognise their potential and build their confidence through good strategies and techniques to really reach their potential. And I think now coming full circle on my career, I just look at the woman I used to look up to and think, gosh, they did influence me in different ways. And hopefully I'm having a positive influence on young women that are coming through in those sort of leadership roles or um, the careers of their choices. So I try and get out and espouse how to build that confidence as they go. And absolutely, now that you can be a role model for,
0: for others to look up to, what helped you personally to build your confidence as you went?
1: Uh, I think that it was, about, it was about learning to be more assertive on my position. So often I know women that will sit there, and I was included in this, as you think of something, you know it, but you never push it out there early. You know, you don't say... Um, up front and then sometimes you're sitting there as a passive observer on things but in your mind just thinking to yourself why didn't I speak up on that issue so I think it's just seizing those opportunities and looking at women that do that really well and actually trying to work out why that is but I think it comes with experience too and just backing yourself with, with a bit more confidence and belief in your capability uh, is, is really important.
0: Jenny, you talked about one of your career challenges being the kind of the time post the Canterbury earthquakes in 2011. What have been some other of your toughest career moments or, or challenges?
1: I think it's just been moving into different roles where you, you don't know a lot about some of the pieces that you're going to um, unpack when you get there. It's taking that step into the uncertain. So one of the roles I took on was in the commercial business and it was heavily male-dominated and um, I hadn't run the commercial business before. I was leaning into some of those challenges and working out that actually there may be parts that you don't know or I felt that I didn't know, but it's also backing yourself to those things that you do know and taking those steps to work out how do i solve for the pieces i don't know how do i surround myself with people that can help with complementary skills and the learning for me was how do i ask for support and help as i go and that's not a failing it's a strength that i don't need to know everything um i won't be shown up at you know and in fact when you ask for help or support most people are willing to give it to you Mm, yeah, great lessons there in terms of how
0: you overcome those challenges. Because most of the rules, I think, whenever people make a step up, they don't know loads of things so actually focusing first on what you do know and then surrounding yourself with people and asking for some support that's some great thoughts Mm. and it sounds like those kind of those step-up times have been quite challenging and you talked also about one of your proudest moments being actually about the diversity and inclusion piece but also the broader impact that Westpac has, has maybe had on society as you look back on your career what would you say are some of your proudest moments?
1: Well, I, I do go back to the pieces that we did around the work on domestic violence in the workplace and making sure that we had uh, a really supportive work work environment. Um, we're made up of 63% of our workforce are women, so we knew that there was the likelihood statistically that some of those women would face domestic violence or psychological violence in their um, homes. And so being able to influence that was hugely powerful and knowing that you actually have made a difference to other people's lives is one it's very rewarding but secondly putting a position that is a workplace issue then forced other organisations to really revisit that themselves so that's The difference you can make around societal change and the domestic violence-free tick, which Westpac was the first organisation to attain, has had that knock-on effect of other organisations picking that up and running with it. And I think, for me, that shows the power of leaning into some areas that are probably a little bit uncomfortable for people to talk about or really want to discuss but we actually moved into that space we trained our leaders we worked with partners that really helped in that in that way and I think that's been a wonderful achievement for us as an organisation but personally very satisfying for me as a leader.
0: Absolutely as you say it's not necessarily a space that organisations think to step into but actually can actually when when one does and leads in that way actually others can follow as well. And Gina, through these podcasts, you're talking to a wide range of people and many people, particularly nowadays, jump around between jobs or between organisations throughout their career. Now, You've made a, a choice to, to stay with Westpac for a
1: significant period of time. What benefits do you think that has had for your career? Well, I think that in a large organisation, I think you have multiple career changes throughout your career tenure in, in an organisation. So, you know, it's quite unusual now, I suppose, for people to take that long-term view of staying in an organisation. But when you've got multiple different careers through that uh, time, it, it's really, for me, about thinking What experiences am I putting in my backpack of life and how am I using those to develop into the next chapter of wherever I go? And I think for some people, that career job hopping to different things is really what they love and seeing different cultures. For me, the culture tended to fit really nicely with me at Westpac and just being able to move to different jobs has meant that I've never really had to look outside because I've been um, really fulfilled with great opportunities and challenges uh, in the one organisation. I like that. Um, I might borrow the phrase, the backpack of
0: life. <laughs> and when there's some of the skills yeah. and experiences that you're
1: going to put in your backpack as you go along. Yeah. And I think the thing for me is continuing to grow and develop. It's one of those things that is, a, it's almost self-fulfilling that if you feel that you're getting what you need to to grow and you do have that kind of growth mindset about learning and building different skills and capability, then you don't need to worry if you haven't moved organisations. I, I don't think that's really the key. The key is actually individually how do you feel about your career progression, whether it's in one organisation or whether it's across multiple organisations.
0: And as you said, everybody has has a different approach. For some people, it's the various different cultures. For some, like you said yeah. for yourself, you found a culture where you felt it was home, and you still got lots of variety of opportunities and experiences and progressions as mm-hmm. you went. Now, I can imagine reading through as I did for the for the bio, kind of your role. It's a large role. It's uh, and it's uh, I can imagine a very a pretty busy, full on um, role. How do you find balance between work and your Broader
1: life I've got a very busy role because I've got a lot of um, people uh, that rely on me to um, lead them through transformation and change I get a lot of energy from that and I do feel that I get express that energy and you know passion for change and transformation and that sort of flows into my home life as well very busy with um, the husband and two adult Michael, adult children but I just really feel that I get energy from everything I do. If I, Even if I'm at home, I'm an active relaxer. I like cooking. I like people coming around and um, engaging with friends and family. The balance for me is not necessarily that I have to recharge my batteries every weekend and go again with work. It's just this constant stream. I seem to get energy from being around people and the work that we're doing. It's probably been different through different stages of my life and the different stages of particularly the ages of my children. Uh, but at this point in time we still like to connect up with them and watch them on this, you know, side of the rugby field every weekend. And it's not to say I don't have downtime, I do to read a book or, I don't know, watch a Netflix binge series. But I think it's just about am I feeling like I have enough energy um, to give back to everybody as we drive change in the business and have a happy, healthy relationship with family and friends.
0: Nicely put. I like the way you talked about it, about where you get energy from. And because ultimately it mm. is recharging, if you think about re- recharging, is, it is about where you get your energy. And and if at the weekend you get your energy from cooking and spending time with friends, then that is in effect recharging you. For, you know, for some people that will be, doing some yoga, having a quiet bath, whatever it might be. For some other people, absolutely, it's about going to an exercise class or something else, or more, more active recharging. So recognising that everybody's different within that and also at different periods of time in your life. I you know, like that you said that too. If, if I look at across New Zealand, particularly in the private sector, if you look at the senior levels in private sector organisations, they're still dominated by men. What... Do you think it would take to get more gender balance, to get more women into those senior roles, whether it's on exec teams or even into boards in the private sector in New Zealand?
1: Well, I think you've got to reach a tipping point and you really do have to push to get to ensure that you've got gender diversity on those senior uh, executive teams in boards and senior leadership. But you get to this tipping point where it becomes a natural movement where uh, people will hire more women into those senior roles. And I think there's a number of ways that organisations can really focus on that. One is uh, to make sure that their recruitment strategies are really well defined. You know, have they got equal ratio of men and women candidates that they're interviewing, that they have a good candidate uh, team interviewing for those because men and women ask different questions that draw out the best of people. I just from our own organisation's perspective, I've just seen the shift in people really loving the diversity of not just gender, but cultural diversity and all of those things just make it a great organisation to be in. And I think, I really worry about organisations that don't see that opportunity and they don't shift into that space because they're just missing a whole lot of talent and attracting and retaining really great people. And then it flows to different things like flexible working and the way in which you enjoy life and work and all of those good things. Those things make such a difference to the holistic view of work and and non-work activities. So I just... I really feel for organisations that haven't really cottoned onto this yet as a as a movement that they should be embracing. Mm. Uh, and the flexible working is a really interesting one that I think, of course, has come more to the
0: fore recently. In terms of the as a result of lockdown and COVID, and recognizing that actually flexible working, most people probably enjoy a bit of flexibility in their work of, of any gender. And that actually, you know, as you talked about that kind of broader society community benefit, having men, if the flexibility enables them to be more involved with their families, their kids, actually that's good. That's good for society too. And it's probably going to make them happier and hopefully more productive at work as well.
1: One of the policies that we brought in, which I was um, involved with, was called Leave Loudly. And it was a policy to say, basically, don't skulk out of the office pretending you're going to do something when really you're wanting to go and watch your kids swimming, sports, or you've got to take elderly parents to a doctor's appointment. Just embrace it and leave loudly. Let people know you're going. Don't feel that you have to say you're going to be logging on later on in the night. It's just those things that say we all know that we've got a life to run as well and we know that actually we'll judge you on the outputs of your job, not how many hours you're sitting behind your desk because equally you can focus on presenteeism where people are there but not really working. I think that's taking an adult adult to adult approach to it and just say get the job done that you need to do and everyone everyone will be happy. And I think leaving loudly particularly if you see people at senior levels
0: doing that actually then that can create that culture change of making people through the organisation go,
1: okay It it is okay I can do it too. Yeah, and the thing about the COVID, you know, that sort of accelerated this trend in a way that we haven't seen. And it's really created a far more mainstream kind of approach to flexibility, video conferencing, the etiquette around that, that people are starting to really um, move their work to where they want to be. But ultimately, it's still about not just the individual, it's got to be about the team the business and the customer at the heart of all of that. So it's got to work quite um, fluidly that you ha- you do need to be flexible about your flexibility. And I always say that the team is always best to work out how to make that work in a way that's sustainable because it can't just work for the individual, but it doesn't work for the team. And even in big organisations, really when you boil it down, most parts of the business a link to smaller teams of say no more than 10. So if they can make it work and it's still getting the outputs, then you know, happy days. It's great. Yeah, absolutely. And Gina, where do you see your career heading in the future? Well I'd like to think just having started this role that, you know, I just want to do this very well and continue with the transformation that we've got underway. This is an interesting piece because I often feel when I look back at my career, I probably fell into roles, you know, somebody asked me, oh, do you want to do this? Or, oh, I'll give that a go. And it's one thing that I think in my experience now, it's being a little bit more deliberate about, or well, what is the next step? How do you want to plan for that? Have you put good succession behind you so that it's easier to transition to whatever you want to do next? But For the here and now, I've only really just picked up this role. So it's very much about getting in and um, doing the best job I can over this next sort of period of time. And I liked that balance that you talked about earlier on.
0: Actually, you just say, yes, things came along. But over time, potentially being a bit more deliberate about your next steps. Mm.
1: Yeah. And actually, sorry, I was just going to say on that, it's really also about asking people getting a mentor or getting a coach and, and really asking those questions about testing yourself out on those things because, you know, you can have that you can fall into that trap particularly women, can fall into the trap of just simply, you know, moseying along in their career and then they wonder, why haven't I moved to where I thought I was going to be? And the other thing I think about when when I think about women and their careers is often they're so busy proving themselves by doing the work that they often don't look up and realise that their male counterparts will be spending a lot more time networking and as an important part of business kind of relationships. And They often feel that, women often feel that they'll get selected because they've proved themselves by the work outputs that they've delivered. And that's not necessarily the case. Networking is an important thing that I don't think women do um, necessarily as well as men.
0: And I think it's, I've seen many women have that, you know, I just want to put my head down and get the job done and that should be enough. And back to it's a bit back to school almost to hand you work out hope yeah. to get the gold star. And the yeah. reality of the world of work is absolutely there's a lot about visibility and about the connections that you have and about recognising actually that networking is it's not something extra, it's just part of the job because if you're making connections with people, that's going to help you to get job done as well as potentially help your progression too yeah great point Gina you've already shared loads of things from your own career in terms of that others could take away as advice but have you got any other advice that you wanted to share for for other women
1: I think it's just about working out how you draw confidence um, from what you do so I call it that Penelope perfect situation where Women want to be perfect often and not get things wrong, but actually when you've explored the fact that you are going to get things wrong, it's embracing those as just pure learning and moving forward with the next phase or step. So I just encourage women to think about what are they learning, you know, they're taking time to reflect on where they want to get to because there's some amazing women that are very resilient and persevere, but also thinking about how they can help others, how they can share best stories and build each other's confidence up as they go through their career. Absolutely. And
0: thank you, Gina, for being so generous with your time today in terms (laughs) of sharing your story because I know it will be really inspirational for other women to hear as as they go through their careers as well.
1: You were reflecting to me, oh, you're in the senior position. It's an interesting concept, isn't it? Because when you've come up, I think, through the ranks, you never feel like you're any different to anyone else. Through for me, through the organisation, I think one of my key learnings, just as you were reflecting on that point earlier, is treating people how you like to be treated. And that, that adage is so absolutely clear for me that treating people with respect and acknowledging the work that they do and being really connected at all levels across an organisation is so such a key critical leadership trait that understanding the value of every individual that comes into work every day to help with whatever you're trying to achieve. And I think that, in my mind, is something that keeps you grounded and humble, is just about making sure that you accept that the people that you're working with all add value in a different way. And that's really important to me as a leader. Mm, That's lovely.
0: Um, I think that's a, a lovely point to close on, Gina. Thank you so much for your time today. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Female Career Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more inspiring stories of women of Aotearoa and their careers, subscribe to the Female Career Podcast via Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you like to listen so that you never miss a story. You can also take a look at our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we feature the stories. And if you subscribe to our mailing list, you can have career advice and inspiration delivered directly to your inbox. Thanks for your support, and I look forward to you joining us again soon.